You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. do you deal with a breakup? Some cry it out and drown their sorrows in decadent sweets. Others busy themselves with a new hobby. They start working out or change their look with a new haircut. Some people become stalkers, but eventually with time, most people move on. But there are people out there who take it much further. For them, it's life or death. When Mary Yoder, a successful and healthy chiropractor in New York, suddenly fell gravely ill, her family was shocked. Mary was the picture of health, but within 48 hours, she was dead. After the autopsy showed she had been poisoned, everyone became a suspect. Investigators looked at her husband, Bill Yoder, family, friends. But who was behind this? The case became even more mysterious when police received an anonymous note claiming one of Mary's own children was the killer. In the end, police made an arrest, and it was the last person you would expect. So, case closed, right? Not so fast. Many, including Mary's family, question if the person who was charged in the murder is really guilty. Lots of people believe it was a wrongful conviction, and the true killer or killers are walking freely. Just when you think you have this case figured out, there's another twist. I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. Welcome back to the show. I'm so happy you're here for today's episode. As always, make sure you're following along wherever you listen to Avery After Dark. If you're here watching with me on YouTube, subscribe, leave a like and a comment, and turn on post notifications. I'm getting so many messages from you all telling me how you found the show, giving me story suggestions, telling me what you want to see next on the podcast. I love it all. Keep it coming. And if you haven't already, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm very excited. We are now ranking on the Apple Podcast Charts. Very cool, and I have you all to thank for that. I'm just so grateful to be a part of your week. I really mean that. And if you want all these episodes early and ad-free and want to support the show, join the Patreon. I'm linking that below in the show notes. Now, without further ado, today's case. There's a lot to this story, so let's start at the beginning. Mary was born in Buffalo in 1955. She was one of eight children. She went on to college where she met her future husband, Bill Yoder, in 1975. The two went on to become chiropractors and both had dreams of working together. Both were passionate about health and helping people. The couple married, settled down in Whitesboro, New York, and had three kids, one of their sons being Adam. Mary and Bill were a very well-respected, hard-working couple, very admirable. In 2015, 60-year-old Mary and 69-year-old Bill were running a very successful practice called Chiropractic Family Care in Whitesboro. The couple had been in business for 28 years, which is pretty impressive. At the practice, they had staff, one of those being 24-year-old Caitlin Conley, but everyone called her Katie. 
She worked as the receptionist and office manager and had been there for about four years. But she wasn't just an employee. She had grown very close to Mary and Bill as she had dated Mary's youngest son, Adam, on and off throughout the years. Mary and Katie especially were very close, and Katie thought of Mary as a mentor, and the two got along really well. Now, Katie and Adam, that's a completely different story. They were very on and off as a couple. They would break up, get back together, then repeat the cycle. We all know those couples. Every week, it's a new story. So back to Mary, she really valued her health. She practiced what she preached. She was really into the holistic lifestyle. The basic meaning of a holistic lifestyle is taking care of your mind, body, emotions, and soul. So it's really based on that belief that all of these elements are interconnected and influence each other. So Mary was all about the natural, healthy, clean living. She gardened, she took dance classes. She was super active, worked out a lot. She was always up on the newest vitamins, supplements, really the picture of health. But this all changed quickly. July 20th, 2015. It was a usual day for Mary. She went into work at her practice, saw some clients, took care of some work. But around lunchtime, Mary started to feel really sick. Nauseous, cramping, stomach ache. She's getting a bad fever. It just hit her out of nowhere. And it's gradually getting worse throughout the day. So much so that she was struggling to make it through her afternoon appointments. Mary assumed she had a stomach bug, so she left the office early around 4.30 p.m. By the time she gets back home, she's feeling even worse. Mary tells her husband, Bill, that she feels awful and she thinks she's picked up a bug or something. She says she's just going to try and sleep it off. One of those 24-hour bugs, which are awful, we've all been there, but they come and go pretty quickly and that's initially what Mary thought she had. But all night long, Mary was sick, in the bathroom all evening, and when morning came and she still wasn't any better, in fact, she seemed even worse, Bill Yoder took her to St. Luke's emergency room. Mary is immediately admitted, and they tell her they're going to keep her overnight. They give her fluids as she is super, super dehydrated. And doctors begin running a long line of tests on Mary, but aren't able to identify what's really making her sick. Everyone kind of still thinks it's some kind of bad stomach virus, but something isn't quite right here. Doctors see she's a really healthy person and believe that she'll feel better with fluids under their care. But doctors watch as Mary's fever and pain are getting worse and worse. At one point when she tried to get up from the hospital bed, she slipped and fell in her room. Bless her heart, she was in a lot of pain and deteriorating fast. Doctors admit her to the ICU, and her condition kept slipping. Mary Yoder went into cardiac arrest over seven times. She was now in very critical condition, and everything doctors were trying was not working. As things are getting bad, Bill's notified as he went home, and he tells the children to come to the hospital as doctors have no idea where this is headed, but it's not looking good. On the afternoon of July 22nd, Mary Yoder died at the hospital. Her family was devastated and wanted to know what happened. Doctors were baffled and said they had never seen anything like Mary Yoder's case. How did this super active woman with no prior medical issues whatsoever go from healthy and active to dead in a matter of 48 hours? The community mourned Dr. Mary Yoder. She was well known by many and her patients were stunned. 
Katie Conley, Mary's assistant, took to social media the day after she passed away and said, Dr. Mary, I still can't believe you're gone. You will be missed and lovingly remembered. We love you. So, what happened? An autopsy is done and revealed that Mary's organs look to be in really bad shape, like someone who had just been through chemotherapy. Mary did not have cancer, so this again added to the mystery. This had the medical examiner considering the idea that Mary had been poisoned, but this required more testing. So the medical examiner's office contacts poison control for help in the case. After the usual suspects like cyanide and arsenic are ruled out, they figured out that she had been poisoned with colchicine, a drug used to treat gout, inflammation of the joints. And the cause of death was ruled as colchicine toxicity. When administered to patients, it has to be given in exact small doses as too much is deadly. Colchicine toxicity causes fever, abdominal cramping, vomiting. Basically, all of the liquids leave your body. It's just a nightmare. Tests are done, and they find that Mary's body had lethal levels of colchicine. They confirmed that Mary somehow ingested it, and they also said that the amount was enough to have killed her 15 times over. 15 times. So this was no accidental poisoning. Whoever did this wanted Mary dead. But who? Investigators now had a homicide to solve. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Police began the investigation into Mary's death as a murder. And as always, they look at the spouse first. Bill Yoder. What's going on with him? On the day Mary became ill, her usually ever-present husband, Bill, was absent from the office for some reason. According to the Oneida County Sheriff's Department, they didn't have much more information about Bill's whereabouts that day other than he just wasn't at work. But police had pause when looking at Bill as they uncovered that he had quickly moved on after his wife's sudden death. Very quickly moved on with her sister. Yeah. You heard me right. In the months after Mary's death, he was already in a new relationship with Mary's older sister, Kathy. Look, I can only speak for myself. If I was married and something happened to me, and the second I was gone, my husband was dating my sister, I would come back and haunt them both. And I don't even have a sister. But everyone involved would get haunted. You know what I'm saying? I get moving on, but... Not so soon, and not with a family member. So as you can imagine, police find it strange that Bill is dating Mary's sister at all, but especially so soon after Mary's tragic death. But investigators don't find any sort of big life insurance payout on Mary Yoder, and for whatever reason, this was enough for police to stop considering or pursuing him as a possible suspect. In my humble opinion, Anyone, in any case, who pops up with a new girlfriend, boyfriend, so soon after a sudden tragic death like this, it always looks bad. But police kind of moved on from Bill, and then the case sat dormant for a bit. But everyone knows that this case is being investigated as a murder, so tensions are rising. 
In November 2015, things took a mysterious turn when authorities received an anonymous letter. The sender did not give a name, but the letter claimed that one of Mary's own children had killed her, Adam Yoder, Mary's youngest son. Per this letter, the sender claimed that Adam was responsible for Mary's death and even said that Adam told them that he did it and how he did it, that he put the colchicine in one of Mary's supplements that she took while Adam was at his parents' house one day. And the letter also gave a motive behind all of this. It said it was all because Adam resented his mother. The letter implicated that they had a lot of issues, that he had money problems and he was upset with his mom that she didn't try to help him more. The letter stated if he were to kill his mother, he thought he would receive a big payout after her death. But because he didn't get any money, he was upset and told this anonymous sender all about it. The letter also gave a vital tip. The sender stated that the bottle of colchicine used to kill Mary would be found in Adam's Jeep underneath the passenger side seat. So police are very interested in this letter. It has everything that they need a suspect, a possible motive, and possible evidence. They reach out to Adam, he consults with an attorney, and after, he allows them to search his car as he stood by and watched. And they find exactly what the letter stated, a bottle of colchicine underneath his car seat wrapped in a little brown bag. Along with that, they find a crumpled receipt from a place called Art Chemicals for the purchase of the colchicine. And on the receipt... There's an email address, mradamyoder1990 at gmail.com. So here are investigators finding Adam, Mary's son, with the very drug that was used to kill her in the exact spot that this anonymous letter said. And to boot, there is a receipt with the purchase of the colchicine with his email address, with Adam's name, right there, linking him straight to the murder. As they searched his car, Adam was reportedly standing there watching, and when they uncovered all of this, police said that he was visibly stunned. One officer said he was so shocked the cigarette he was smoking during the search fell straight out of his mouth. So investigators show him the receipt, and he looks it over and says, yeah, that's my name, but that is not my email address. He says, that isn't me. I have never used that email address in my life. And Even for police, they feel like this is a little fishy. The letter, the culture scene in the car, with the receipt, this is all a bit too convenient. It is almost never this easy to solve this kind of crime. And investigators wonder, if Adam was guilty, why would he be driving around with the drug used to kill his mom in his car? This was all just suspicious. It seemed like this was planned almost as if someone, the real killer, may be trying to frame Adam for the murder. But police have to look at him. But they find that Adam was out of town during the time Mary had fallen ill. He was visiting a sister in Long Island and arrived five days before Mary ever got sick and only returned back home when he found out that his mom was in the hospital. So investigators evaluate everything and now see that someone wants Adam to go down for this. But who? Who was close enough to the family, close enough to Adam, that may have a vendetta against him, may be angry with him, may want revenge? Anyone coming to mind? Police learn of the on-and-off-again relationship between Adam and Katie Conley, Mary's office assistant. 
That same Katie who made the heartfelt social media post the day after Mary's death. So police bring Katie in for an interview the next day. They get a DNA sample from her and ask her all about her relationship with the family. And then they interview her for a second time. And then a third time. On December 21st, 2015, Katie admitted to investigators that she was the one who had written the anonymous letter and tells police, look, the only reason I wrote that is because I'm actually really afraid of Adam. Katie claimed that Adam was one of those people who you had to keep an eye on because he had these bursts of rage, these fits of anger that really scared her. So she claimed she wrote the letter anonymously so she could protect herself. Because if Adam were to find out, she feared he would do something. Now, police aren't really sure about Katie's claims. And they grow even more wary of her story when they learn of the nature between Katie and Adam. The up and down relationship that they had. They learn that it was toxic. As I mentioned, they would break up and get back together. Then the cycle would repeat. But it was uglier than that. They weren't just on and off. It was really bad. They would fight, scream, yell. She accused him of abuse. Then when they broke up, Katie claimed she was pregnant but then had lost the baby. So Adam, who was seeing another woman, broke up with her to get back together with Katie. Then they break up because he believes that Katie was being unfaithful with one of his friends. (sighs) A mess. So police are questioning Katie's I'm so scared of Adam claim when they learn about all of this. And they also become even more suspicious when they learn that Adam had fallen ill just months before his mom. In April 2015, after Katie had given him some supplements to take from the office. Now, Adam said these supplements were supposed to help you focus, give mental clarity, but he said he just got really sick from them. Hmm. So investigators are now uncovering a whole new angle to this case and asking, wait, could Katie have put something in those supplements she had given Adam to poison him? And if she was capable of poisoning Adam, could she have something to do with Mary Yoder's murder? And police did have something to go on here. They had the email account from the Colchicine receipt found in Adam's car. The email that Adam denied ever creating or using. Investigators had a team of forensic experts examine that email address and they found that it had been created on September 19th, 2014. And it had been created on the front office computer at Mary and Bill's office, the computer that Katie worked on. And they found this email had been accessed on her cell phone and at her home as well. And they find there were two purchases of Colchicine made from Katie's computer. In one of their interviews with Katie, investigators began talking about Mary's murder and her being poisoned. And they said at one point Katie had referred to poison as a lady's weapon. Which is true. Many murders committed by women are through poisoning. So at this point, police are really zoning in on Katie Conley as their prime suspect and find that Katie's DNA was on the wrapper of the Colchicine bag. Adam's was not, but Katie's was. On February 5th, 2016, Katie admitted that she purchased two prepaid credit cards in Adam's name. The serial numbers on the cards matched those on the receipts for the Colchicine, and investigators believe that Katie forged Adam's and Mary's signatures on the letter of intent when purchasing the Colchicine. Katie said all along that she did not kill Mary, but all of the mounting evidence showed otherwise. Katie Conley was charged with Mary Yoder's murder and stood trial in spring 2017. 
The prosecution claimed that her motive was revenge because she wanted to get back at Adam after the breakup. Through all the ups and downs, she resented him and wanted retaliation. Prosecution said she wanted to take away one of the people that Adam loved most in the world, his mother. They also pointed to the idea that this could be a tragedy that could possibly bring Adam back to Katie. Either way, prosecutors believed that Katie had the motive and she was the one who poisoned Mary Yoder. Their theory was Katie had laced a protein shake that Mary would have every day at work, and that's how she unknowingly ingested the colchicine. They argued Katie had the access to the drink, she was in the office with Mary that day, so she could have easily slipped it into the shake. But after Mary died, Katie and Adam didn't get back together and ride off under the sunset. So they say she got angry and tried to frame him for his mother's murder, sending investigators that anonymous letter and putting the colchicine in Adam's car with the receipt. The DA stated, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Vengeance, thy name is Katie Conley. The defense argued this case was all circumstantial. The defense argued Katie did not kill Mary. In fact, she lost a good friend when Mary died. They said she had nothing to gain by killing Mary. This was her employer and someone she admired. The defense also pointed to someone else. They asked the jury to consider that Mary's husband, Bill Yoder, was actually the one who killed Mary. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. The defense claimed that Bill likely laced Mary's daily protein shake that morning before work, and that's why he avoided the office that day. Because if you remember, Bill, for some reason, did not go into the office that day, which was unusual for him. He was usually always there. The defense pointed to Bill's relationship and said his motive was that he was having an affair with Mary's sister, Kathy. We have Bill claiming that, no, they only got together after Mary died, but witnesses said, no, that's not true. They were very much together while Mary was still alive. One of these witnesses being Kathy's neighbor who saw them kissing. And no, although Bill didn't get a big life insurance payout when Mary died, he had received about $400,000 from his father in an inheritance. And the defense argued that he didn't want to split this up with Mary. He wanted it for himself. They continued and said Bill Yoder lived with Mary and could have laced her cough drops or her inhaler with colchicine because the drug also comes in dust form, which led to another theory that maybe Mary was poisoned twice, once the day she initially got sick and then a second time. And the defense pointed out that Bill brought both the inhaler and cough drops to Mary at the hospital. In the end, the jury was unable to reach a verdict and the judge declared a mistrial. So round two. At Katie Conley's second trial, the prosecution came even more prepared with more evidence against Katie, specifically Katie's online search history. At the time of the murders, Adam claimed Katie had plugged her phone into Adam's laptop and it created a backup. And on this backup were searches Katie had supposedly made, including searches for the most deadly poisons. At this trial, the defense switched up and argued that Adam was the actual killer, not Katie. They claimed that Katie was framed by her abusive, controlling ex-boyfriend, Adam. But in the end, the jury was just not buying it. The prosecution did a great job of painting Katie as this killer vixen, 
and Katie Conley was convicted of first-degree manslaughter. The jury found her not guilty of second-degree murder, though. At her sentencing, Katie said, With all due respect to the justice system and our jury system, I'm innocent. Adam Yoder also got up and spoke. He said that as much as he hates Katie, he's more angry at himself for introducing her to his mother. He's mad that he got her a job at the practice and said if he hadn't, his mom would still be alive. Per prison records, Katie remains incarcerated at Bedford Hills Correction Facility for Women in Westchester County, New York. So that's it, right? Case closed? Everyone pack up and time to head home? Not so fast. Over the years, many have debated this case, looked over the evidence, and many people feel that Katie was wrongfully convicted. Three of the individuals who strongly feel that Katie Conley was wrongfully convicted are Mary's own sisters, Sally Parkett, Janine King, and Sharon Mills. The sisters do not believe it was Katie who killed their sister. They allege that it was Bill Yoder. Janine King said, quote, My brother-in-law and my nephew are responsible for my sister's death, end quote. Neither Bill nor Adam Yoder has ever been charged in Mary's death, and they have always maintained their innocence. But despite this, a few of Mary's family members still question Katie Conley's conviction. Janine King said, I believe that a young woman has been wrongfully convicted and that the persons involved in my sister's death have immunity. Mary's sister Janine claims that prosecutors made their first mistake by granting full immunity to both Bill and Adam in exchange for their testimony for Katie's grand jury proceeding. Let's take a look at what Mary's sisters are alleging. According to them, although they were seen as this well-respected couple in the community, there were a lot of problems within the marriage between Mary and Bill. Behind the scenes, it was not good, according to the sisters. They claim the couple had money problems, big money problems. Reportedly, Bill and Mary were struggling financially, and they were in debt. Now, at the time of the murder, Bill was 70 years old and really, really wanted to stop working and retire, but he couldn't. Due to the couple's finances, he had to keep working. But apparently, after Mary's death, the sisters claim he was able to quickly stop working as he had that inheritance from his father, and it was enough for he alone to live on, but not for both he and Mary to live on. So we know early on, police dropped the entire idea of Bill being a possible suspect in Mary's murder. They claimed, well, there was no monetary gain from Mary's death, no big life insurance payout, so he must have not done it. That was the investigator's theory. According to Mary's sister, Bill Yoder actually did make out better financially after Mary's murder. He could afford to retire after her death and quickly did so. You may be asking, why weren't these sisters more a part of the investigation then? Well, the sisters claim that Bill reached out to the DA after Mary's death and told them that these three sisters had a personal vendetta against him. In the sisters' opinions, they believe Bill effectively turned investigators against them really early on. Let's look at some of the points the sisters have made. And let's start with the day that Bill brought Mary Yoder to the hospital after she had been sick all night long. The sisters claim that Bill left the hospital at some point after bringing Mary in. He just left and went home. And when Mary's condition began to deteriorate so rapidly, neither Mary nor hospital staff could get Bill on the phone. 
In fact, they were never able to get him on the phone. Police had to go to Bill's house and notify him of what was going on at the hospital. Um, what? If your wife has fallen so ill and is admitted to the hospital, most people wouldn't want to leave their loved one's side. I mean, Mary was in critical condition. You don't leave someone like that. I understand if that person is maybe feeling better, if Mary was on the mend and Bill would run home and get his wife something that she needed. That's understandable. But Mary was in critical condition. So for Bill to leave his wife there and then not be reachable for hours? In his own words, he stated during the trial that Mary was gravely ill when he brought her to the hospital. So why would he leave her there alone? Why was he unreachable? Police stated that when they went to the house to notify Bill, they said they had to stand and bang on the door for quite some time before he ever answered. And when he finally came to the door, they tell him, you know, sir, your wife has taken a turn at the hospital. He tells them, okay, he'll be there ASAP. It's about a 15 minute drive. Bill Yoder didn't get to the hospital for another hour. An hour. If you've ever had a loved one in the hospital, you know and you get it. It's scary, and you want to be there every moment for them. You have to make sure your family member is well taken care of because if they're in the hospital, they are not in the place to take care of themselves. So it really makes me sad for Mary that she was in the hospital in so much pain and distress and not able to get her husband on the phone when I imagine she was probably really scared. Another oddity. After Mary died, the sisters alleged that Bill and Adam were very eager to have Mary cremated immediately. And I mean really eager. The sisters claimed that they didn't even notify Mary's extended family yet. And this was especially concerning when the sisters learned that Mary had been poisoned to find out that she had already been cremated, which destroyed any evidence that may be needed to get justice for Mary and find out who murdered her. Then there's Mary's son, Adam. The sisters claim that he was on the outs with his mother around the time Mary died. Janine said Mary and he had a falling out. Mary had been an enabler, but she was starting to take a firmer stand with him in that and not giving him money. The sisters allege that Bill and Adam were working together after the murder to get Mary cremated quickly. And then when they realized the autopsy showed that she had been poisoned, and this was going to be investigated as a murder, the sisters allege that this was the point they started to frame Katie Conley for the murder, making it appear that she was the one who ordered the cultisine. The sisters said it was pretty strange after Mary's murder. Adam and Bill started spending so much more time together, which, hey, they just lost a loved one. That isn't so inconceivable. But for them, it was. The sister said that Adam and Bill hadn't got along very well prior to Mary's death. There was a lot of friction, a lot of tension in the relationship. So for them to become so close was suspicious. All right, are you ready? This is a big one. It's also been alleged that upon learning from the medical examiner that Mary had been poisoned, murdered, the family did not alert police. The investigation into her murder only started months later. It was also allegedly Mary's sister Sharon who alerted police, and then the criminal investigation was launched. Crime reporter Rocco LaDuca said there wouldn't have been a murder investigation if it were not for the sisters speaking out. I hear that 
and I'm struck. To find out that your loved one has been poisoned, has been murdered by someone, and you're not immediately on the phone with police, you're not in the car on the way to meet with detectives to help track down the murderer, why are you not wanting to find the person who took your loved one away from you? Why aren't you on the hunt for this killer? Another point. The prosecution stated during the trial that Katie had laced Mary's protein shake with the colchicine the day she fell ill. But according to official medical reports, when asked what Mary ate that day, the reports reflect there was no evidence she ever had a protein shake, only a protein bar for lunch, and then some grilled chicken for dinner. But in court, Bill had testified that Mary definitely had a protein shake for lunch. So all of these allegations are in addition to the suspicious nature of the relationship between Bill and Mary's sister, Kathy. Now, Kathy's husband had recently died, leaving Kathy very financially stable. She was very well off money-wise. Witnesses reported seeing Bill's car at Kathy's home. Again, this was all while Mary was still alive. And Janine King spoke of their relationship and said, Relationships don't just start overnight. A neighbor testified that she had seen Bill over at Kathy's house, and she witnessed this, was testified to a passionate kiss and embrace between them while she and her daughter were walking by. So all of this, you start to see why these sisters are having a really hard time with Katie Conley's conviction. In another important note, a lot of the evidence came from Katie's computer at Mary's office, as she was known to use that front computer primarily. But Adam and Bill would also use that computer a lot, and both of those men were very tech-savvy. Katie, not so much. It was said that she had issues setting up Wi-Fi. Adam also allegedly had access to Katie's cell phone, as it wasn't password-protected. And Adam was known to use Katie's computer, and they shared an Apple ID— and colchicine would be a drug that Bill would have been familiar with being a chiropractor for 30 years. But at the trial, Bill denied even knowing what colchicine was. He's like, oh, never heard of it. The sisters also allege that Mary was poisoned with colchicine twice. We talked about that theory a little bit. They believe she was poisoned once, first the day she initially fell ill, and a second time. And the only people around her were the hospital staff and Bill. Apparently, he had brought Mary those cough drops and an inhaler while she was at the hospital. But the inhaler nor cough drops were ever given to police, so they could never be tested. They believe this because, if you recall, they found that Mary was poisoned with enough to kill 15 people. So how did she physically survive that for 48 hours? Makes you wonder. Mary's sister, as well as a lot of Mary's friends, alleged that Bill and Adam framed Katie for Mary's murder and believed that this was truly the perfect crime. Janine King said, Bill is brilliant. He is a two-time PhD. He's a highly intelligent man. He's a detailist. He has motive. On Katie's end, her defense team has been fighting to appeal her conviction, and many continue to debate her guilt or innocence. And Mary Yoder's family remains divided over the case and are left mourning the loss of Mary every day. Katie continues to be adamant that she was framed and has always said that she's innocent. 
And she has reportedly been a model prisoner. She even started a book club inside. It is really hard to know what to believe in this case. I have a hard time knowing what to think here. I remember listening to a podcast episode on this case years ago. And when I initially heard everything about it, I heard all the evidence. I was like everyone else. I was so convinced that Katie was the guilty party. But it's really been in recent months and years that people are really starting to question this. And the fact that it's coming from Mary's sisters, people who undoubtedly want justice for their sister, really makes me think. But what about you? You've heard a lot. What do you believe? Do you feel that Katie was wrongfully convicted or do you believe a jury got it right? Leave a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are because I am all over the place with this one. All right, friends, next week, we have a very spooky episode. Very spooky. God bless you guys. I look forward to next episode. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.